You're listening to the Tipsy Nerds Book Club Podcast, your home for the best of science fiction and fantasy with a twist. Whether you prefer your stories with dragons or aliens, your beverages shaken or stirred, fill your glass, relax, and join the conversation with your hosts, sci-fi and fantasy authors and proud Tipsy Nerds, Natalie Wright and R.S. Dabney. Welcome, Tipsy Nerds, epic fantasy readers, to the Tipsy Nerds Book Club Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Natalie Wright, and with me, is the pensive. <laughs> That's a new one. Well, you were just looking particularly pensive. Robin Schofield, you just kind of look like, oh, I'm really thinking about this. Whole well, thing. I was, I actually was thinking, I was like, what words is she going to use today? <laughs> I was like, I was really focused on your words. <laughs> you look, and you were looking yeah. very pensive. Um, okay. Yeah. To the Tipsy Nurse Book Club podcast. Yeah, well, it's great to be here chatting with you again. And and how are you? How are things in your world? Not the greater world, because we know that's fucked up. But like, yeah, how, how are you? Yeah, yeah. You know, I think we've reached that point in the program where the only thing left to do is drink heavily and like try not to think too hard about anything for a few hours. So that's what we're here for. Maybe we will help others take their mind off of things for a little while as we are trying to do as we're drinking and talking about great books. I'm doing really well, Robin. I recently got to go to a book event for signing and meeting readers. And I haven't done that for like two years and it was outside and it was just three days of glory, beauty, <laughs> wondrousness. You know what I mean? I am and, so jealous. I miss yeah, conventions. Oh, it, it was really good. And seeing people out with their friends, their family and having a good time and Mm-hmm. Um, that's always a big, great part of it for me is seeing, you know, people together and just yeah, enjoying each other's company. So that was, it was all good, all good, all wonderful life affirming. Good, good. I'm so and then glad. I came back and listened to the news and I was like, shit, right. <laughs> that's what I, I just, gotta... just stay saved. <laughs> I, I, I think, that was yeah, awesome. like you, like you said, all we can do is drink and talk about made up worlds. <laughs> Yeah, it's their own problems. (laughs) Well, hey, today we're going to talk about Black Sun, uh, the first and I think what's going to be a trilogy, an epic fantasy trilogy by a New Mexican author, Rebecca Roanhorse. I spotted this one in the bookstore, which I don't frequent, you know, the brick and mortars much anymore, but I saw the cover and immediately was intrigued and read like the first chapter standing in the bookstore. (laughs) Kind of had to like, well, I better buy it now. I've cracked the spine. I better go purchase this. So um, we'll do a setup in a, in a minute after we talk about our beverages. Um, but that's what we're reading. It was first paperback edition is 2021 by Saga Press. Um, so it's a fairly newish book. And I believe mm-hmm. the second one came out this year, which we have it not comes read. out on April 19th. Okay, there you go. Spoiler alert. I liked this book. And yeah. so I have already pre-ordered the sequel and I was so disappointed it wasn't already out. We can get to that later, but April 19th, the, the, the second book in the series does come out. Yeah. Much love to this work is going to be coming your way. So I don't think we're going to have any detractors here today on Tipsy Nerds, but uh, Robin, what are you drinking while so, we're chatting yeah, this one up? Natalie and I have gone back to being creative with our drinks. So, you know, slowly but surely we're coming back to our full selves. At least for <laughs> um, one episode. 
Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> no promises. You get what you get from us. Um, yeah. So, and I, I say that with this drink that I've that I have is like not actually anything spectacular, but I was inspired by the eclipse nature of this story. There's a big piece of it where uh, the the sun comes and blocks out, um, or excuse me, the moon comes and blocks out the sun. And in this book, that's called Convergence. And so I've named my drink Convergence and really simple, but it's just um, orange soda, like a Fanta with some dark rum in it that floats on the top and sort of seeps down. So it almost looks like like an eclipse starting to happen of the darkness covering or seeping into that lightness. Um, oh, I like and it. It's actually quite tasty and fresh. It's a good summer drink, but yeah, that's virgins. Like mm-hmm. Very nice. And I was inspired by a drink in the book, um, which I'm not going to try to pronounce the name. It's long and it has that X. Yes. X. And it, <laughs> I never have. Is it Sha, she, G? I don't know. But anyway, I'm going to pronounce that wrong throughout this. So just be prepared. Uh, but anyway, the drink was, she talked about was anise and honey. Mm-hmm. And I immediately thought of absinthe because that's anise flavored and a honey syrup. So what I made is a drink I'm calling, um, nectar of the sky gods and sky gods are kind of prominent in the book. And it's, uh, one part, uh, bourbon. I'm using Woodford reserve because I'm kind to myself and I drink really good bourbon yeah. <laughs> and one part honey syrup, which is a simple syrup, one-to-one honey and water. You know, you melt that and then let it cool. I'm using a mesquite flower, uh, honey. So that's local desert honey for me, which is yummy. And then the, the absinthe, I just did a splash around the inside of the glass and then mm-hmm. kind of like left just a, just a dash of it in the bottom. Um, and then, you know, stirred the liquor with ice and strained it in a glass. It's really actually quite delicious yeah, and I'm going to be, pretty. it's very strong and I'm going to be pretty trash by it <laughs> and recording this show. Good. I can't wait. So That's what Natalie, naps are for. <laughs> exactly. And, and you, Natalie has a great setup for us. So we're talking about black sun. We're talking about yeah. sky gods and eclipses. Tell us, Natalie, what is this book about? Okay. So in this land that sort of her world is sort of a melange of pre-Columbian America's cultures. It's so it's kind of, she called from all over uh, mm-hmm. the Americas for this, but pre pre-colonialism. Okay. So in this land for about 300 years, there has been a peace, but the Crow, Crow clan wants revenge for a calling, a killing that happened by the priests of the tower, um, when they got kind of uppity about things a a generation ago and they lost a lot of people. So they have faith that their God will bring vengeance. And so that's their deal. And this convergence, it's not only that the moon is going to eclipse the sun, but it's going to happen at the height of the winter solstice. And this has only happened, you know, like maybe every 400 years. So Mm -hmm. it's a very prominent omen. And so as they, in this book, everything is kind of gearing up to that time. And we have multiple named characters, but three main ones. Nara, who is, um, she is a commoner born in the mall, but she was raised to the sun priest. And then we have Shiala, a sailor. She's a ship's captain, but she is also a woman of powerful magic in her own right. And then Serapio, he's a chosen of sorts. He's a vessel for the carrion crow and the shadow God. 
And so we follow these three characters as their stories begin to, over the course of the book, converge at the Mm -hmm. time of the convergence. Converge toward convergence. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. Where all hell breaks loose. So you, I want to just jump into the beginning of this because you said you picked up this book in the bookstore, read the first chapter, and you felt like you had to buy it. And, And then you told me about this and I read the first chapter and that was one of the most engaging first chapters I've ever read in a book. So it's agreed. It's trigger warning. It's there's some mutilation. There's some weird shit, but it is captivating and you feel it. And you're like, your skin is crawling, but you're also really intrigued. One of the best first chapters I've ever read in a book. (laughs) And I don't want to give a lot away, but like, holy shit. (laughs) Right. I will say, I'm not sure the writing in the middle holds up to the beauty of the first couple of chapters and then the last couple of chapters. So I was going to jump into that later, but I'll segue also. I was hooked after the first chapter and then it lost me for a bit. I really struggled through the next third of the book, to be honest. And I really struggle. It's like, I enjoyed it, but I'd pick it up in a couple pages and put it down. And then the last chunk, I was just fanatically reading. It was wonderful. So I agree. There was a sagging piece that there's just not a lot happening or not enough that I cared about. I wasn't invested enough to care about all the things that were happening. So what was your, what was the, what was your beef with that piece? Well, I actually really like the second chapter too. So it's each chapter is kind of, we kind of go back and forth a little bit in time, but it's never confusing because at the beginning mm-hmm. of each chapter, there's like a little piece of lore that matches the person's faction or the person that we're with um, that helps ground the reader in this next chapter. And the chapters are pretty short and I like that. So, you know, it's not, it, it, the pacing is good that way. She's really mm-hmm. got that great pacing. Um, and I really like the introduction. The second chapter is Shiala. She's the ship's captain and we find her face down in a jail cell. <laughs> and I have a soft spot for rogues, like rogue characters, you know, like yes. I love them. And she is um, immediately hooks me. Her story really got me. So I got sucked into that. I think the chapters for me that flagged a little were the sun priest, the um, me too. Yeah. She, um, it's, it's just kind of something about those chapters. They don't have the sizzle or the zing as Serapio and Shiala's chapters do. And then there comes a point where Shiala, uh, Shiala and Serapio are like together in those chapters where they're on the ship and the sailors and all that to me, again, give me a pirate story. Give me people on a ship. I love stories like that. So, and there was a point where we're with Shiala and I'm like, yes, we have, we have pirates on the sea. Yay. And then we go to Nara's chapter, the sun priest and the tower. And I'm like, Oh, that's exactly what happened to me. And (laughs) I agree. Shiala, my favorite character, one of my favorite characters I've read. And I, cause I also like, and probably like fluffing myself up, but I have related to her so much because I feel like, I feel like either I am like her or I want to be like her, which is a weird thing to say about someone who's like drunk and passed out and like, um, but she's a total badass and her story kind of reminded me of you too. And don't take that the wrong way. I'm not, it's (laughs) not the drunk passed out part, but 
No, it was just her, her personality, her way of viewing things, her, uh, how she interacted with the world. Like, I was just like, oh my God, I, you're the best. And when she and Serapio came together, that's where the story really flew for me. And I loved their storyline. I loved their friendship. I loved the development of their relationship into potentially something more, although he was the chosen one destined for something that was not, you know, being in love with this ship captain. I don't know. I found that that their two stories were really engaging for me. Nara's story was not until the last third of the book. And then it really picked up and I was intrigued by her and she became more interesting. So I agree with you on that. Right. What did you, I don't want to give away what happens to Shiala, but what did you think of the thing that happened to her on the boat? There's like a reveal of something about her. So I thought it was, well, I think we have to give away a little bit. Yeah. I'm trying to think. So Shiala is a, not a, she's a, I'm t- what is the word? It's she's not, a species. not fully human. Yeah. She's, she's not, different- yeah, she's not fully human. She's almost like, imagine the sirens of ancient Greece, these, or the Amazonians, these women who come from a different place where there's no men. They're just these strong, badass women have some magical abilities. She can actually sing and calm the sea or make the sea do her bidding in a way. She's, she claims, or she calls herself like a daughter of the sea. And I, I really loved that sort of magic system. I thought that was really beautiful and well done. And it's not like we haven't seen women who sing and like control men and control it. We've seen that trope before in fantasy plenty, but this was done in such a unique and and lovely way. She had the ability to not only kill with her song, but to calm the sea with her song, but also to calm the men on the ship. Yes. And I thought that was nice that she was powerful and she used it in a powerful badass way, but in multiple places in the book, she also stepped up and used her power to kind of help soothe and calm people, even though she faces a lot of prejudices because of her, who she is and who her people are. And people aren't necessarily good to her, but she still has this really innate goodness. And I think that's why I liked her so much is yeah, she's drunk and passed out, but then she's also a really good person. And I, I just thought that was a beautiful magic system that I've seen, but I also haven't seen before. Right. Agreed. I really liked it too. I guess I felt like the thing that happens to her that I don't want to give away, but it's a shift in Mm kind of like what she is and how they see her. I was almost, I don't know, like disappointed. Maybe it felt a little bit like really. And I felt like the writer even sort of made light of it or made fun of it. And then Shiala's character after that kind of almost like drops off a bit. Like she becomes almost like background. And that kind of bummed me out. That kind of bummed Mm -hmm. me a little bit because I was really following her and thought Mm -hmm. she was like the best character. So, but this is a story that goes on past this book. And that's very clear. You don't read this book thinking it's the end, you know, it's just the beginning. And so I'm very curious to see what happens with Shiala because she has so much potential. And I I know what you're talking about. I'm just real quick reflecting on that. Yeah. Yeah, There is this event that changes her trajectory, changes the trajectory of a lot of characters. And I, I think I was, the, the piece that I felt disappointed with that was I felt like the reactions of her crew were a little um, overblown. It seems like there would be more uh, 
for men of the sea in this fantasy world where there are giant crows and giant water striders, and they do know of these mermaid-esque women, these sirens, it seems like they would have more of a capacity to hold the reveal of some sort of magic system than to just go totally Neanderthal, you know? Right. <laughs> so I, I wanted at least some of them to have a little bit more of a, a spine or backbone. It seemed a bit convenient writing-wise to make yeah. those decisions, which, yeah, you guys will just have to read about the middle of the book. Um, right. And tell yeah. us what you think of the the thing we cannot reveal, The one of the big reveals. Um, it happens in the ocean, in the middle yes. of the sea. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just, I love, I wanted more being on the ship but in general um this is rebecca roanhorse's first epic fantasy as, as far as i understand it that she um mm -hmm. wrote or, or that was published anyway and it definitely has strengths and that first chapter is freaking amazing i would say she has a little ways to go though in terms of her writing you know mm -hmm. and i think it's part of why it flags in the middle is there are times where it's like definitely words could have been cut things could have been tightened you know like things could have been left out or things needed to be added. So mm -hmm. I, I would say her writing isn't yet up to the standards of, uh, let's say like NK Jemison or George R. R. Martin, you know, but she holds great promise, mm -hmm. I think for future works that are going to be even better than this. Um, yeah. Like NK Jemison, she has that ability to just without being overly flowery or without, just I don't know without too many words like she can just emotionally cut to the heart of a matter and just flay you emo you know like the reader like oh my god what did I just read <laughs> you know and, yeah, I she, and she she doesn't hold back at all she doesn't no. try to like um make this palatable for anybody so there are just as like another trigger warning there is like blood and mutilation and sacrifice and suicide and violence and mass murder and like really right. descriptive <laughs> ways of telling this she doesn't hold back um, I don't think any of it's gratuitous though we don't it's have not just gratuitous like... no yeah I don't feel that either it's it's like if you're a fan of George R. R. Martin if you're a fan of N.K. Jemison, I think you'll love this story. It's, right, it's, it's in a way that's just realistic to the society and the world and the magic system that she's built. Right. One thing I appreciated is there's no gratuitous um, sexual violence. Yes, I um, agree. Which so frequently appears in fantasy stories. But so there's none of that. But one thing she does that's quite different than any epic fantasy story in the mainstream that I've ever read is she has um, multiple gender characters. Mm -hmm. And this is not what the story is about, but in the world she's created, the society she's created, it's not anything unusual for there to be people who are bisexual, for there are people to be non-binary uh, mm -hmm. or transgender. And one of the ways she talks about this, and I want to talk to you, Robin, see what you thought about this, because some people criticize it, some people praise it. So uh, people seem, readers seem to be all over the board with it. But for one set of characters, they're sort of like, um, they're called the knives. They're part of the priesthood in the tower. And they are, well, the security forces, I guess you uh, you would. And they all go I don't know if they're non-binary or transgender. I wasn't completely clear on that. I think non-binary. I, I think don't non -binary. think they were trans. Yeah, I think they were non-binary. So instead of saying her, the word is Z. Um, 
T X I R. And instead of he or she, it's X I. Was that X E? X E. So Z or Zier. Zier. Okay. But at other times, and this is what got me a little bit, and I wasn't sure I liked this idea where sometimes she does refer to someone as they. Mm-hmm. So she's referring to some people as she, some people to he, some people as they, and some people as she or zher, zher. And that became at times a little confusing because you're going along and it's he, she, and then she does they. And I'm like, okay, I got that. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. suddenly out of nowhere, she hits me with, G. And it took me a couple of like pages to understand that she was talking about this person. And now yeah. we have a new set of pronouns. And then some people had those pronouns, some people didn't. That was a little confusing for me. I mean, I understood what she was doing. Yeah. But, so, but I'm again, glad you just, brought it up. And yeah. I was, I knew we'd have to talk about this and it's, it's a tough, not tough. So I think she did a wonderful job of being so inclusive with this story. Like you said, she has multiple, excuse me, queer characters, pansexuals, transgendered, uh, bisexual, uh, gender neutral. And I, I think that is fantastic. And that's not something we've seen. I too struggled a bit with the Zier Z, but I think it was good for me because I just, I think I struggled because I've never seen it in a story. And, and because, you know, I'm young, but I'm still of a generation where this was not a thing. And so I'm open and I, excuse me, I'm, you know, totally open to all of this, but it's just not something I know. So I'm in that learning process. And so I opened this book and I think part of why I stalled on Nara's chapters was because she's having a lot of interactions with Zizir and it was, I, I, I too had to, figure out this is a pronoun. I didn't even know that was a pronoun. And so at first it was just like, is this a, a spelling, a typo? I thought the first one was a typo. And, and yeah. again, I'm showing my ignorance. <laughs> I'm admitting that. And it took me a while to get comfortable with that. Now, I, I think the cool piece of this was that by the end, I did become comfortable. And I think that's the benefit of stories and reading and including diverse characters is that you can make something normal for people that they're not necessarily accustomed to. I was much more when I read the they, them, that for me, I was like, oh, okay, cool. Because that's, it's a pronoun I, that's different, but I'm, I'm comfortable with. And so I do think, and this is a personal taste that, and, and, and maybe I will get flogged online for this, <laughs> but I do think they, them using they, them or Z, Zier in a story, um, picking one and sticking with it, I feel like would be less confusing for certain readers but also maybe I just need to keep reading and get more comfortable with all of these new things. Mm-hmm. I just wasn't sure why she introduced one and then turned to the other and yeah. then never really went back to they, them. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Cause the first introduction of a queer character was they, them, uh, they, them. Um, and then that, so, that character never came back into the story. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So they could have just left that out. Yeah. She could have so. left that out. And it would have been, yeah. So if you're under the age of what, probably 21, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're like, whatever you guys, you know, yeah. like as, as my child says, mom pronouns change weekly. <laughs> For, you know, I'm used to pronouns changing on the fly. Yeah. Um, so I get that. I have, I have a person in the um, Gen Z category. So a person, yeah. a child in the Gen Z category. So, but I do think 
think I, I agree with everything you said, Robin. I feel like, yes, it's partly it's a struggle because we're not used to seeing it. Mm -hmm. And um, so I appreciated that introduction of that here um, from this writer in a really methodical way and in a, mm -hmm. you know, like a, a, you know, just an inclusive way. But it was yeah. a learning experience for me. And also the spelling of these pronouns really fit with the world and with the spellings of other names and characters. So totally. it was, there was a thought process here. It wasn't just willy nilly thrown out. It was, mm -hmm. you know part of the process. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's something that has to be discussed with this book because it's not a theme. It's not a trope. It's not something that's stuck in there just to like constantly remind you it's blended in to show you that this is a world where women are leaders and people are non-binary people are trans and like that's normal. And I think that's great, but it's so new that it has to be talked about. And I think when I was looking through some of the reviews, the negative reviews, there were two main reasons I think that people stopped reading. And one was the use of these gender or non-gendered pronouns that certain people couldn't get past. And I think that's okay because again, I think the benefit of this is that it forces some of us who this is new for to just keep reading and keep learning that this is, this is good. And it's, it's normal. And yeah, I don't know I why people could read Tolkien and get through all of the words and names that he throws around. Oh, totally. Well, and that's why and, there's and so get much stumped by G. Yeah. Right. You, know? but you saw it <laughs> on there. It's on the reviews online. Oh, yeah, people, I get it. And then the other reason I think was that there was that sagging kind of post beginning middle piece and they couldn't push through. So there was a lot of did not finishes. I think both reasons should be set aside because I think one, if you move past that slow piece, it's phenomenal. And two, we should all be reading stuff with people and characters who lead different lives than us so that we can just like open our fucking minds, right. <laughs> you know, and like grow right. up <laughs> with the world. Yes, so. yes, exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Well, we are often confronted with being hit with news about our world, about our own lives, even that we didn't expect. You never saw it coming. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So fictions can prepare us for that, you know, just be ready for anything because you never totally. know what's going to happen tomorrow. Yeah. And so fiction prepares us for all that. Well, the, as we move in this book towards the convergence, that's again, where I'd say the last hundred pages is unputdownable. Her grasp of pacing and moving back and forth and back and forth between these characters is something that I've done in my own fiction. I know how hard it is to do. Um, mm -hmm. And to get it all, everybody to come out at the same place at the right time, you know, and in yeah. a way that's, that makes sense and isn't forced. And she's really good at that. She's really good at moving that along. I love the ambiguity of some of these characters, like Serapio's mother, who yeah. prepares him to be a vessel. And when you learn her, her plans in this all along, it, you're left with this vague sense, I'm sure as the character is of, oh my God, did she even love him at all? What, mm -hmm. or did she love him and what, what was going on there? And were her actions good and just, or is she this like insane, evil woman? Right. Yeah. And what is he actually ushering in? Like, what is this new thing being ushered in? Is it a cleansing that's good for this world? Is it dystopian? I mean, I don't think at the end, I really know what's coming. 
Another character I want to mention that we didn't talk about, and you don't see them actually a lot. She talks about it a little bit more than you actually see it. And I hope that uh, in book two, we see more of the actual, like these giant beasts that people ride. So we see these big crows, um, the corvuses that the the crow clan can get on the back of and ride. And we see this character, I think his name is Ochoa, that is... Mm -hmm. um, the son of the woman who was the head of the Crow clan. And he's been training at the war college. And now he's, he's back because of something that happens. And he has this beautiful big crow that he, that he can ride. I want to see more of, of those beasts that we hear about, but we don't see a lot of. Um, And I think his character has a lot of promise for me. I really like what's developed there. I like his personality and he's got conflict and with his sister and, I just total John Snow vibes from him. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> and he sounds freaking hot to boot. So I want to see this in a movie and see him, you yeah. know, wearing his like feather cape, his black feather cape. I love. Yeah. Again, all the I'm I'm totally into costumes. So when I'm reading, mm-hmm. I'm like sitting there totally trying to picture it in my head, like what all their clothing looks like. And that's another thing I think she did a great job with bringing in like clothing and costumes for us, but clothing for them. That's really different and unusual, not the typical, you know, like we don't have greaves and pauldrons, not that I don't love all that. I do, but seeing a whole different way of dressing and ceremonial dress and all the different colors and the vibrancy, I really just felt for me, like she captured that the writer captured that really well. And I think she, that was one of her strongest elements of her world building was the costuming and the society and the the things that were based off of that, uh, you know, meld of so many different cultures. And it didn't feel like appropriation. It felt like a celebration of these different cultures. And like, she really showcased with her own fantasy twist, these cultures in a way that you could see it, they were so vivid. And these cultures in real life that she's based this on are so vivid. And she captured those elements. They weren't watered down. They weren't I feel like this is one of the brightest fantasy stories I've read. Because if if that makes sense, like so, sometimes Western Western European based uh, fantasy stories have that really dark feeling where everything's a little cloudy and misty and gray. You know, you watch those movies that are noir, and that sort of is like draped over these Western fantasies. And this, even though it was winter, even though uh, there was snow and cloud, it also felt really bright and vibrant. And I. Mm-hmm. That was refreshing to me. Not only yeah. the change from Western European medieval fantasy, which I also love, and it's not like I'm tired of that, but right. um, I've just never read something quite like this. And like you said, because we we come from those areas, sort of, I'm using air quotes, we right. we have an idea of what this is like. And it, I don't know, it, it pulled on my little nostalgic strings too of home and right. um, these cultures that aren't necessarily showcased so often in fantasy. I, what I understand is, though, there seems to be some controversy about her origins, which yeah. you can read about online. She's She is part Black and part Native American and was adopted by white parents. So she wasn't raised in the culture. But this book isn't specifically about just like North American, Native Americans. I mean, right. this, is, this is digging into pre-Columbian, pre-colonial Americas. And she called pulled from all of these different cultures, but anyway, yeah, she definitely captures something that's really beautiful and interesting and vibrant. And we want more. Yeah. And you have these characters. So as Natalie said, you have like the three main characters and kind of a a half main character, Okoa, that 
crow who rode the um, the crow clan man who rides the giant crow. And I think they do a good job of representing the different societies, but she also in her world building builds out the society in ways that are realistic to our own. So she has what are called the sky made clans. And these are the ones associated with those giant creatures we want more of. <laughs> right. Um, and I think there's four, four clans within the sky maids. And then you have the earth, uh, earth dwellers or, and, and so the sky made feel better than the earth dwellers. So, so you have these castes, in society that also all the different characters weave in and out of. And, and I think she does a good job of world building that too. Like you have the people who are kind of oblivious at the top living their nice lives with their nice religion and then going and visiting like the poker halls and the pleasure houses and taking advantage and abusing these people beneath them. And so I always like that in a fantasy or in any book I read when you also get a fully fleshed out society, even if it doesn't necessarily have to do with each of the main characters and their stories. And I think she did a good job of creating this really three-dimensional world for me to, to believe in. Right. She's never preachy either. That's another great thing about it. I mean, she's just showing you these different things and she's not making judgment about any of it. Um, there's no point at which a character goes on some kind of a diatribe for a while or anything. They just simply state their Mm -hmm. truth and you, the reader can make of it what you will. So yeah, masterfully done. I I, uh, really look forward to reading the next one. And I, I hope that this book does well because, um, she has won, I think both a Nebula and a Hugo awarded as well as other awards for short Mm -hmm. stories that she's written. She's also written for the star Wars universe, I believe, and possibly some Marvel. Um, yeah. This was her first epic fantasy. I think it's an excellent beginning. And yeah. I definitely look forward to more from Rebecca Roanhorse. Yeah, I do too. And uh, I think the greatest recommendation I can give for it is that I've already pre-ordered the book and I'm awaiting it on my Kindle on April 19th. And I have so much to read, a huge TBR pile. So unless I absolutely love book one, it I don't necessarily go to book two, or if I do, it's years later. And so I think, yeah, for me, that's the greatest recommendation I can give is is that I've already bought the sequel and I'm waiting patiently for it. So (laughs) yes, 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 absolutely. So kudos to Rebecca Roanhorse and wow, you know, you and I, I have to go pre-order mine too. I thought it was already out for some reason. I just, I guess I've seen the the cover so many places. I thought it was already here. So what questions do we have for our readers today? Hmm. Yeah, we haven't been doing a good job of that either. So we're bringing back drinks for now and we're bringing back questions for now. (laughs) Um, Until we forget it next episode. Yeah. So I have a question for listeners and you, Natalie, if you answer it about Serapio, I think you talked about how uh, Rebecca Roanhorse is good at creating characters where they're not necessarily good or bad. And I think his mother is one that you get to struggle with as a reader, but I think he is too. And so he's, sort of the hero he's sort of the chosen one and he's sort of the villain and he's sort of the villain and but you really like him but then when he does the bad things you kind of hope the people stop him so he's a for me he was very conflicting in a good way and so i, I guess don't think my, i was asking them to stop him what is that oh, okay <laughs> i'm like go for it <laughs> tear it down that's right yeah. you know buddy well i was like <laughs> i just was hoping for 
them to like sit at a table and, you know, share a hot dog and be like, we're cool. I don't know why there'd be a hot dog in free Columbia. Because you're a vegan and you yeah. can't eat them. And so it's what you want. Right? That's true. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, if I was, if I was about to die meat. during a convergence, I would eat a hot dog. No, um, <laughs> you know, I'm always like hoping for like peace and that council of friends where it's in, and, yeah. you know, yeah. and so this is like outside of my council of friends realm, you know, where there's like crows tearing people's eyeballs out. Yeah. Not, not, not so much friendly, but, um, so my question, I guess for you, for people is like, who was Serapio for you? Um, and, and how do you feel about kind of the trope of the hero chosen one kind of being like flipped inside out? Given that I have just spent the past six years writing almost this exact theme, <laughs> I'm pretty okay with it. Yeah. I, it actually, I got to thinking about the fifth season by mm-hmm. N.K. Jemison, which we started this, the, uh, this season of Terps Nerds with. This book, The End Game, and mm-hmm. my own work, and realizing we are getting a lot of stories about, about this character, about a character who yeah. is a hero slash villain. Oh, you know what? Siri Hawkeye. Hawkeye. Yeah. Uh, Siri in Witcher is another, Mm -hmm. is actually a very similar character created or born or magicked into existence at a time of great omen. Yeah. To be not the savior of mankind or humankind or person kind, but it's destroyer. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And why are we having so many stories with that? I think because we're all beneath the surface thinking that maybe we need to be destroyed as a species <laughs> to save the greater good. Uh, but that's a different topic. Yeah. But um, so to answer your question, I, I was pretty good with it because Serapio at the end for me was very empathetic because he didn't have Mm -hmm. really, it didn't feel like a choice in any of this. He was made into what he is by other people. Um, any humanity or empathy he might've had was sort of like kind of trained out of him. Oh, I've written that character too, half nine. Um, but that concept kind of resonated with me as far as the character goes, you know what I mean? Like a person who didn't really feel that they had much of a choice. Yeah. And at the end, that was, that was his purpose. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I guess he could have been swayed from that purpose. You know, if anyone was going to sway him from it, it would have been Shiala. Shiala, but I don't think she, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to backtrack here. I have a little complaint and here's my a little <laughs> bit of complaint about okay. this book, both Nara, uh, the sun priestess, sun priest and Shiala female characters that were very strong in many respects, but both of them had a little bit too much cluelessness for my liking Uh where it's like, really, you didn't, I mean, I put that together like 300 pages ago. So their willful ignorance was a little bit too convenient and really controlled by their emotions. And that was the one thing that bugged me is that they were, if this was a young adult story, some of their emotions would be okay, but it's like for the sun priest, which you have to be like really mature and whatever to get to that point, to be like right. pining over and sort of petty about somebody sleeping with other people or, you know, right. there was some, there was some, I agree in the sense that I felt like they were, 
overly emotional in ways that didn't do justice to their characters because right. neither of them needed these people that they were pining over. Serapio, little Mr. Like Crow God in waiting is like destroying people seeing yeah. when he's blind and Shiala's like, what? Oh, he's just a dude I'm into. You know what I mean? And it's like, okay, <laughs> but uh, come on, can't you see the bigger picture here? Because it's kind of like written all yeah. around you and mm-hmm. you're not, you're so your loins are so involved. You're not paying attention yeah. to what's going on. And I might forgive it one time, but then she's got the same thing kind of going on with mm-hmm. her other female main character. So that's a little bit of like, it's not yeah. enough for me to go, this book sucks, or I wouldn't recommend it, but it was like, I would have preferred if both of them had had a little bit more of a clue. And I'm not saying that I don't write stuff like that because I do, but usually my beta readers and editors are like, come on, you're sounding <laughs> stupid here. Like, wouldn't she have put this together by now? Or wouldn't she, you yeah. know, it's too convenient for her to not see it. So it yeah. feels like someone should have pointed out to her that you know, it's, it's not lazy writing, but again, it's kind of like a lack of someone with it's a like key adding. Yeah, yeah. Not pointing out and it's easy to fix if you know, it's there, but as yeah. a writer, sometimes you can't see it um, yeah. until someone points it out. So anyway, sorry, I digressed off of your question, a little bit of a beef there. <laughs> no, but- it's okay. Do you have, do you have a question for our listeners? Uh, no, I think okay. bourbon is working on my brain cells and I'm like, <laughs> No, what did we, just, what did we read? Yeah. What, what were we reading? Mm-hmm. Cool. <laughs> what are we, well, talking, yeah. what are we Who, talking about next Robin? Next I'm gonna, up wait real quick. Next. I'm going to broaden okay. my question. And then, okay. so my question is, okay, so I'm, I'm moving out from Serapio. So listeners, who do you feel like is the villain of this story? And, and that can be a person, it can be an organization, it can be lots of things. So I just want to know who everybody thinks is the villain of this story and why. And it doesn't have to be a black and white answer. So that's, that's my good. final question. I think next we need to pick a show. Yeah. An interesting and exciting show that has come out or we've got a few we're tossing around. And yeah. I think book we've talked about Old Man's War by John Scalzi. We've also talked about Neil Gaiman. Ah, uh, Neverwhere. Right. So we'll toss those two in a blender and see which one we pick. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be one of those. Yeah. So you have, that's what you both are good have to look I, forward to. Yeah. Both are good. So yeah. we'll see what, we'll see what we pull out of the blender next. Cool. And, um, excellent. Well, you know, we were gone for like a year or so, and now we're back. We're slow, <laughs> slowly rebuilding what, what we yeah. were doing. <laughs> exactly. We'll see if it lasts another two weeks. <laughs> that's true. We may yeah. Yeah. Well, it was great to chat with you again. And thanks for picking this book. Really, yes. really fun. Really Good. enjoyable. Glad you yep. liked it. Well, cheers, Robin. Cheers, Tipsy Nerds. Yeah. Cheers, everyone. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Tipsy Nerds Book Club podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share the fun with your friends and family. Want a recipe for a cocktail you heard here? You can find recipes as well as show notes, episode transcripts, and helpful links on our website, tipsynerdsbookclub.com. And as always, join us next week for a new episode of Libations and Geeking Out. Cheers.